Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. But today we're going to launch into a new series of messages that's going to take us all the way to Resurrection Sunday. And we've entitled this message as we stand here moving towards the cross of Calvary. In just a few weeks, we're going to be uh, remembering that Good Friday and, and the uh, atoning work of Christ that has been done on our behalves. And um, we're going to spend some time uh, reflecting through a series of messages titled, At the Cross. At the Cross. What is it that we find at the cross? We sing about being at the cross. A number of songs have been written about the cross and, and what we survey at the cross. And we're just going to spend some time reflecting on that. Uh, we, sing in, we sang in the old hymn, Oh, the old rugged cross, so despised by the world, holds a wondrous attraction to me. And, and why is that exactly? Why is it that an emblem of suffering and shame, an emblem of heartbreak and heartache and turmoil would hold such a wondrous attraction to us? And that's what we're going to be answering here over the next several weeks. It's, it's a basic gospel presentation. And, but we're going to be talking about what do we find at the cross that is so attractive. So today, if you're wondering about Christianity and what it's all about, I hope that you'll join us over the next several weeks as we discuss some of the fundamentals of the faith. And if you've been serving the Lord for some time, and this seems elementary or perhaps even boring to you, um, then you need this series most of all. Amen? Because if you think that you've matured beyond the wonder of the cross and what Jesus did for us there, that's not spiritual maturity. That is spiritual death and decline. And today you need your own personal revival. So as we're talking about these fundamental elements of faith, if you don't find something stirring on the inside of you and some life being just encouraged in you, then, then today you need to begin to pray honestly and earnestly for revival in your own spirit. And say, God, would you just, would you just restore to me the joy of your salvation? Just, just help me to return to my first love. How many of you remember the way you felt when you first made that exchange with the Lord? Just, come on, come on, come on. Somebody can testify in this place that you never will forget that day, that moment, that hour, whenever it was when the Spirit of God came down and touched your life, and in an instant you knew that things were different, you knew that you were pardoned, you knew that you were set free from a life of sin and shame, and you were able to rise in the confidence of the finished work of Calvary and declare, I have been made righteous through the power of Christ. Amen? And if you don't get some sense of that awe and wonder as we're going through this, I want you to earnestly pray, God, revive me. Revive me. Set my spirit on fire and just, just 
help me to return to my first love. So, you know, uh, there's, there's an issue in, in, in our world today, and part of the reason that we maybe aren't as fervent in our, in our thoughts about the things of the Lord is that we have a sin issue in our world. And the issue of sin in our world today is it's a little bit different than what it has been in the past because there's never been a time, I don't think necessarily, that we as a church have really denied the reality of sin. I mean, that, that sin is present and that sin is at work. Um, but there are people nowadays in, in the current culture who are trying to deny the reality of sin. Our world is full of denials that sin and transgression against God is a real thing. But before we get into that, I want to define for you what sin is. In, in, the, dif in the dictionary, we can find this definition of sin. It says, an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. And I believe that this definition is consistent with the teaching of the Bible. That's, that's a good understanding of what sin is. And it's important to note, as Stanley Horton does, that sin is not defined by feelings nor philosophy. Because we have people that are trying to dismiss sin on the basis both of feelings and philosophy. Well, the church says this thing, but I don't feel. The Bible says one thing, but I don't feel. I can't tell you the number of conversations that I've ever had in my life with individuals who start off and say, you know, well, I know that the Bible says, but I don't feel. Or I don't think, or I don't believe that that's actually the way it is. So we have people trying to define what is and is not sinful on the basis of feelings or philosophy. Horton continues and says, but only by God in his law, desire and will, subjective feelings must never be placed above God's objective written word. The word of the Lord. The Word of God, it is truth. It is, when, when you get to heaven, when the Pharisee stands before the judgment seat of God, he's not going to be able to look in the face of Christ and say, well, Lord, while I was on earth, I was a little better than the tax collector. Because the tax collector is not his standard. When you and I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to be able to look at the world around us with all of its filth and moral decline and say, well, God, I was better than the world around me. Because the world around me is not my standard. What is my standard? My standard today, my authoritative, infallible rule for faith and conduct is the written, revealed word of the Lord. And as I live my life, if I live with a disregard, a willful disregard for the commandments of Christ, then I am living in sinfulness. I am living in transgression of the law of the Lord. 
And if you look around today, there seems to be many who are dismissing the reality of sin altogether. There's an emergence of irreverence. Existentialism is being promoted on a grand scale. And what if you don't know what existentialism is, I'll tell you. It is, uh, it's an ideology, it's a philosophy that is opposed to any doctrine that views human beings as a manifestation of an absolute or an infinite substance. And if you want to break that down further, it means that it is a thought or a philosophy that says that man is not created in the image of God. He's simply an animal with animalistic instincts and needs and impulses and desires, and he should operate as such in this world. But friend, I'm going to tell you today, that is a, a lie of the adversary. The sad reality is we hear that lie repeated in the song lyrics of almost any genre of music. It's in the narrative of the shows and the movies that are being produced. And the message of the day is that if it feels good, do it. And have little regard that you might have transgressed against a holy God or in some way disregarded his purpose for your life. Because according to their narrative, there is none. You're just here for a little while. You're a part of the circle of life you're you're here today gone tomorrow and and that's it you're a product of evolution but my bible tells me that god cared so much that he formed man of the dust of the earth and whereas every other being on the planet he simply spoke and they were it says of mankind that God breathed the breath of life into him and man became a living being in the very image of almighty God and we are to reflect his glory in the earth and how do we reflect his glory in the earth we reflect his glory in the earth by living according to his character and his person and emulating him as best we can the psalmist said your word O Lord have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you Lord I'm gonna make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways and permit you to direct me. The truth is that sin is real. There is a God. He has a revealed truth. He has a revealed truth in general. There, there are two types of revelation that we talk about. If you ever take a theology class, they're going to tell you about two types of revelation in particular. One of those is general revelation, and that is how that God, in through his creation, it declares his goodness. It declares his person. It declares his character. Psalm 19 and verse 1, David writes and says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or no language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. Listen, constantly, continually, life is being declared through creation, the life of God, the person of God, the reality of God. You say, well, Pastor, give me an illustration of that. How does, how does creation testify? Well, we've already sang this morning, ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. Last autumn, we watched as the leaves dried up and curled and turned and fell off of the trees, and, and they stood dormant there, and they've been dormant there all the while. 
And if they haven't already, in just the next few days, you're going to begin to see little buds and shoots and testaments of new life begin to, begin to spring out of those trees. If you can't take that and go all the way back to 1 Corinthians 15, how that Paul talks about this mortal body, this flesh that is sown in corruption, being raised, it may be dormant. We stand by the graveside of our loved ones and, and we lay them to rest and there's a body that's there and it's still and it's dormant. But that dormancy is only testifying to a day and an hour when a newness of life is going to spring forth, when the spring of eternity comes and the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, there's going to be a newness of life that's going to fill that body and what was dead is going to live again creation declares the glory of God creation declares the goodness of God the second type of revelation that you learn about in, in, in theology is, is the special revelation and that is that creation testifies but creation also points us to a deeper truth and that is, that is the truth that is found in God's special revelation of himself and his redemptive plan as found in the scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's not rooted in relativism. And that's very important because there are a lot of people that want you to think that this is just a book of antiquity that has no bearing or relevance for your life today. But this word declares of itself that it is forever settled in heaven. It is just as relevant today as it was in the hour that the Holy Spirit inspired it in the hearts of the men who wrote it, in the minds of those that penned it. It's just as relevant for you. And it'll be relevant as long as this world stands. And it'll be the bar by which we are judged. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes and says, Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of, the, will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And when we move in ways that are contrary to God's revealed truth, it is sin. I need a louder amen. Let me say it again. Let's, let's try this. When we move in ways, I don't care what you feel like. It doesn't matter what your thoughts are on the subject. How you feel about it. When we move and we order our lives in ways that are contrary to God's revealed truth, it is sin. It doesn't matter who else blesses it. It doesn't matter who else approves of it. It doesn't matter what other group accepts it. When we move in ways that are contrary to the revealed truth of Scripture, it is sin. To him who knows to do good and does it not, it is sin. You can choose to live your life this way if you want to. You can choose to live contrary to the, to the ways of God. You can pretend as if the law doesn't exist and excuse sin as a reality if you want to. But if you do that, then you're, if that is your choice, then you have a few years to enjoy the pleasures of sin that are for a season. You can be right for a little while, 
You can be right as long as there's breath in your body to argue the point. You'll be right for a few decades of time if that's what you want. But if you're wrong in your assumption, then you'll have an eternity to be wrong. Because there's some people that want to be right so bad that they spurn the law of God and they turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the law of God. And that's okay if you want to live in that kind of pride for that long. That's okay. You can be right, but you'll only be right for a season. And then you'll have all of eternity to be proven wrong. You see, in God's special revelation, we learn not only about God, but we also learn about ourselves. And one of the things that we learn about ourselves is that we're going to spend eternity somewhere. We are going to spend eternity somewhere. And, and people get really anxious when you start talking about this because you, we're going to say the H word. And that's the reason I don't go to church is because I don't want to hear about hell. I mean, I need something encouraging. Okay. Well, let's talk, let's talk about it in these terms. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. You will spend eternity as a partaker of God's presence where there is life and light and joy and happiness and peace. Or you will spend eternity apart from God's presence where there is weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth and suffering and torment. Because if you don't like the designations of heaven or hell, understand this, it's not really about the destination anyway. The prize, the real prize, is that we who are redeemed have the opportunity to spend an eternity in the presence of the one who so loved us that he gave his life for us. That's the real prize. It's not about the crystal river or the streets paved with gold or the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper, but it's about being in a land where the Lamb is the light of the world. That's what it's really all about. So you take your dreams of your fishing pole and the crystal river and whatever it is, I'll take my place around the throne crying with the redeemed throngs of humanity, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole world is full of his glory. <laughs> and the determining factor between the two where you're going to spend eternity is whether or not you have allowed sin to reign in your life. Have we turned a deaf ear to the word of the Lord? Have we disregarded his instruction? Have we been one of those who have not only heard but took heed and received the pardon that Christ came for us to have? Each of our lives have been impacted by sin. Whether you know it or not, whether you want to recognize it, we are all affected by the fall, we are all born into this world in sin. And the word says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say, well, pastor, I'm not sinful. Well, 1 John 1, 8, he shoots it a little straighter here and says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. See, this sin has entered our lives and it's had a horrible impact. 
because it has produced for us a broken fellowship. You know God created man to share fellowship with him, to, to, to commune with him as friend to friend, and to share fellowship with him and to, and to walk with him. And, and when sin entered, that fellowship was broken. Sin separates us from God. God does not entertain the prayer of the sinful. The only prayer of the sinful that God entertains is the prayer where they call out for repentance and forgiveness. But the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God, you wouldn't hear me. He cannot look upon unrighteousness. Our tolerance for it may grow day by day and year over year, but God has not changed. And God's stance on unrighteousness and immorality is the same in 2021 as it was all the way back at the beginning of time. It was such a serious issue that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And sin comes to us with an allure that our natural man cannot resist. And if we yield to the temptation of sin, it overcomes us with a strength that our natural man can't withstand, and sin will hold us in a place from which we and ourselves cannot escape. And, and we think by living our own way, we're actually walking in freedom. But the truth is that sin leads us to bondage. If I could quote from the great theologian, Bob Dylan. Who said, you're going to serve somebody. Think about that. You, you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to serve your own selfish desires. You're going to serve the kingdom of darkness, but you're going to serve somebody. And the one whose master is sin, from sin they will reap the wages that are death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? I mean, church people die too. Yes, they do. We die a physical death. But when we read this here, death here is not in a physical sense, but rather a spiritual. It doesn't mean that one ceases to be. Death is here is that eternal state of a broken fellowship with a holy God. It's that suffering and separation that we spoke about earlier. God created a perfect creation and sin entered and since then there's been a crisis in the earth and, and we're so finite in our understanding that we see time so much like, a, like we would watch a parade through a knot hole in a fence. We, we can only see what's right in front of us and we can recollect what's already passed and we can anticipate what's to come. And because of this we live reactively. We, things happen and we just, we move and we respond and we act and we, you know, we just try to do damage control a lot of times. 
We start down a certain path and then we find out that's not the right one so we correct course when we know we're headed in the wrong way and things haven't gone as planned and we make mistakes and we try to correct them. But God is different than that. He sees time much like the view of the parade from a blimp. He sees where the parade starts. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. And he sees all points in between. And he can see every part at once. So our sins and our fallen state didn't catch him off guard. He, he didn't, when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit in the garden, God didn't go somewhere and wring his hands for 10 or 15 minutes until he figured out what to do. No, he already had a plan. He didn't, he didn't make his creation only to have it marred by the sinfulness of humanity and then say, oh, we've got to come up with a system. No, there was already a plan in place. As a matter of fact, Galatians 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son forth. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And I want to tell you something. In this book, all the way from Genesis, all the way through to the maps, there are types and foreshadows. Every, every goat and bull and ram and turtle dove that was slain and its blood shed was a type and a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make on our behalves for the covering of our sins God knew that you and I were going to blow it God knew that you and I were going to mess it up and there's a principle of ransom and, and what, that, what that means is that what ransom is, is that for those that are held captive, there's a demand, there's a price that is demanded for their liberty. And, and, and the ransom price of our sin is that a spotless offering, a sinless offering would be made, that blood would be shed, and we could not satisfy the price in ourselves. But God, who was rich in mercy... But God has demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and I want to give you another word here. And there's a lot of things that we could associate with this word, and the word is propitiation. And, and we could talk about how that relates to the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant and all those deep theological things. But today, I, I'm just going to concentrate on this word as it is understood in layman's terms, and we're not going to lose anything of the meaning of it. And, and I want to do this today because while, it may, while I may appear smart in connecting all the theological dots, it's more important that we all understand what's been provided for us. And the definition of the word propitiation... When that first generation of hearers heard that word, what they instantly thought of was, as a definition of that word was an atoning victim. An atoning victim. Someone to stand in my stead to atone for my wrong. 
That's what they heard. And then we read these words in Romans chapter 3. We read this, and it says, Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because his forbearance, in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. 1 John 2, 2 says, And he himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not only for ours, but for the whole world. And John, 1 John 4, 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation the atoning victim for our sins he took my place he took your place he's the atoning victim when justice demanded a life our savior stepped in and said take mine no man takes my life jesus said but i freely give it because he loves you and i and he can't stand the thought. He would rather die, give his life, than to think about an eternity apart from you. How can we be so selfish and self-absorbed that we would want to live in such a way that we would spend an eternity apart from him? Who has believed our report, Isaiah says? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no former comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. But surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows because he's our atoning victim. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. For our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed At the cross, we find pardon. Pardon is the action of forgiving or being forgiven for an error or offense. And all of us stand in an unregenerate state before the righteousness of God, guilty. We have fallen short. We didn't measure up. And because of the fact of our guilt, we often bear a load of shame. Not only are we guilty and ashamed, but we are empty-handed as far as a resource to remedy our lives and produce any kind of righteousness to present to God for our redemption. I can't do it. You can't do it. 
No man in and of himself can do it, but the good news today is, church, that it's already done. It's already done. It's already done, and our Savior declared on the cross, it is finished. And at the cross, we find pardon. Pardon to bring the pardon that brings about liberty. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Pardon to lift the burden of shame. Pardon by which those who now face this life and the future with trepidation can look boldly towards the future and proclaim many things about tomorrow. I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. I am his. I've been bought with a price. I want to invite you to stand all over this sanctuary today. Those of you that are watching at home, I want you to pay particular attention in these next few moments. Because I want to afford you an opportunity here in this place today. I know I look around all over this place and I see the faces of precious saints of God, faithful servants to the house of the Lord, and I understand that, but you never know. And I believe the Lord would be displeased this morning if we didn't take just a moment and pause here and afford an opportunity so with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one's looking around in this moment. Those of you that are watching at home, feel free to reply in your own way. If you want to drop it a, a comment in the chat, that's great. If you, if you just want this moment to be between you and the Lord, we understand that, but we would ask you to get in contact with our pastoral team here at the church. You can find our information on the same Facebook page or YouTube channel you're watching this on, and we want to we connect with you and we want to pray with you. But if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I need to experience and know the pardon that's available to me at Calvary, the power of sins forgiven in my life, That's me. Would you pray with me? If that's you, wherever you are, slip your hand up all over this place. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask one more bold step from you this morning. And it's not to embarrass you. It's not to call you out. But it's simply this, Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. And today, if you raised your hand and said, I want to know that pardon, would you just step out in bold declaration right now? And we're going to applaud. The Word says that when, when, when one person gives their life to Christ, that the angels in heaven rejoice and celebrate. And we're going to do the same thing right here. So today, if you raised a hand and said, said, would you pray with us for redemption and salvation? If that was you, would you be so bold right now just to step out? We want to celebrate this moment with you, and then we want to pray with you and believe God together. Is that you? Yeah, thank you. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. Come, come down here. Amen. Come on, church. Yes! Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask some, Lee, would you come? Miss Roberta, would you, would you come here? Thank you, Jesus. And let's just all pray together today. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We stand before you today, God, to confess our need of your redemptive power. We confess our need of your pardon, O oh God. Lord, we confess that we have fallen short of your glory. And we ask your forgiveness, O oh God. Cleanse us, Lord, and create in us a new creation. And Father, we just ask you, Lord, that you would have your perfect work in our lives. Save us, O oh God. Cleanse us and make us whiter than snow. Righteous in your sight, O oh God. And we give you the glory, the praise, and all the honor. And God, today we celebrate heaven's gain with these that have come. God, we thank you for the increase to your body. We thank you for those online who are watching in their homes right now who are praying prayers of faith and giving their lives over to you. God, we just pray that you would invade those spaces, those living rooms right now with the power of the Holy Spirit and transform lives in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.